0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. As you can probably tell, this has been a very, very interesting morning. And hopefully, uh, hopefully I won't preach. I'll be glad if I make it through this sermon, not preach any heresy or say anything heretical. Because I feel like my, I'm just scatterbrained right now. We're in John chapter 6, and we're picking it up in verse 60, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. It says, And this is after Jesus had a lengthy discourse with many of his disciples. It says in verse 60, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we... We just affirm what Peter says. Where else shall we go? You, and you only have the words of eternal life. We can't find that in the world. We can't find that in other people, but only, that is only found in Jesus Christ, that is only found in the inspired scriptures. Lord, so would you feed us this morning? God, I pray that You would help me to walk through this passage with clarity. Pray that you would help me to focus, that I would not in any way be a distraction, that my words would not be a distraction from what your word says. Help us to receive your word. Help us to hunger for it, to digest it, and that we would be nourished. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the past couple of weeks, we've been walking through chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, we've been doing this careful uh, analysis of the crowd that we've been reading about in chapter 6. So we began with a a crowd that was following Jesus because of the signs he was doing on the sick, namely he was healing people, and then following Jesus to the mountain, and Jesus feeds them using five loaves of bread and two fish. And the passage says that there were 5,000 men, but if you include the women and children, there could have been close to around 20,000 people. And then Following that, Jesus crosses over to the other side of the sea with His disciples, and then some among those followers continue to follow Jesus to the other side. And then we find Jesus at the synagogue with many of those who followed Him that we might as well call disciples. These are the individuals who certainly would have identified themselves as disciples because they were following Jesus Christ. And in the synagogue, there were also others who hadn't been following Jesus prior to Him coming to the synagogue, but there are certainly individuals there who would identify themselves as disciples of Jesus. So those who were following Jesus, they misdiagnosed their symptoms. Now, their symptoms were a desire for liberation from Roman rule and the Roman government. There was a desire to be, in a, uh, want to be once again an autonomous nation, and there was also a desire to be once again in a land in which they could flourish. Right? They're not bad desires. But they are diagnosed, misdiagnosed in their symptoms, and they thought that Jesus was the cure. He's the answer to all their hopes and dreams, that Jesus is the one who could give them what they wanted. But Jesus is not willing to give them what they want, but only offering to them, giving to them what they truly needed, which is himself, because their problem wasn't the fact that they were under Roman oppression, but the problem was their sin. So Jesus offers them a prescription, which is His flesh and His blood, which means that they must believe in Jesus in order to be cured of their spiritual illness. But the crowds have a hard time accepting accepting what Jesus is saying. Medication non-adherence is when patients don't take their their medications as they've been as as they've been prescribed to them by their doctors, and it's actually common. And this uh, this is actually quite common among those who suffer from chronic diseases, which is kind of of surprising. And now for some, it's simply because they forget to take their medications. For some, it might be because they don't like the side effects of those medications. Now for others, for many others, the reason why they don't take their their medication is because they fail to take seriously the doctor's words. The doctor tells them this is what's going on this is what you need to do, you need to adopt a whole different lifestyle, this is the medication that you need to take, and for whatever reason, the individual, the patient, doesn't want to listen. They fail to take seriously what the doctor is telling them, and they don't take their medication like they're supposed to. Jesus' followers refuse to take the medication that Jesus is prescribing to them because they fail to take seriously their spiritual illness. Jesus is telling them what they really needed. But they're blinded by what they think they actually need and so they fail to take jesus at his words when in fact they are suffering from a chronic disease that will only lead to death that is a spiritual death an eternal separation from god so today we're going to conclude this analysis of the crowd and we're going to see what happens and it begins with the offensive words of christ so when Many of his disciples heard Jesus' words. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing it himself, that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So as we've been walking through the chapter, it began with thousands upon thousands of people, and then that... That crowd becomes significantly less when they follow Jesus to the other side, and here he is at the synagogue with these others who have been following him. And, among, and in the synagogue, there are other followers of Jesus Christ, having heard of Jesus, having heard of his miracles, and having heard of his teachings. They also would identify themselves as disciples of Christ. So then the context now began with a large crowd of followers, and now it begins to narrow in on these so-called disciples of Jesus. And we learned that these disciples couldn't bear to listen anymore to Jesus' words. Now, what was it about Jesus' words that they found hard to accept? And so, just a really quick analysis of the conversation so far. So, tracking it from the beginning of chapter 6 and now to the end. So, first, Jesus refuses to become the political leader that they think he is. And they find that hard to swallow. I mean, just imagine your hopes and dreams, right? I just moments from being realized and then being taken away, right? So that they find hard to accept because they find in Jesus the fulfillment of their hopes and dreams. And then second, they could not accept Jesus' claims to be sent by God and even surpassing uh, the prophet Moses, right? Hence why they say, is this not Jesus? How can he say that he comes from heaven? I mean, we know him, we know his parents, we know his brothers, So they find that hard to accept. And lastly, they find Jesus' self-description as the bread of life and the true blood which they must drink to be offensive. And then that leads them to make the remark that this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I mean, have you ever heard of, uh, I'm sure we've all been in a situation when somebody is using foul language, maybe cussing like a sailor, maybe using derogatory remarks, and you just couldn't bear to listen to it anymore, so you had to walk away. Or maybe you had to change the radio station, or maybe you had to just turn off the television, right? That's kind of what, that's kind, then you kind of get the idea of what these disciples, what's kind of going through their head when they're saying that they couldn't bear it anymore, to listen to the words of Jesus. They were on the verge of walking away, and then knowing that his disciples were offended by this, Jesus then points them to the cross. So the disciples find Jesus' linguistic expressions to be offensive, then what are they going to think when they see him lifted high above the earth on a cross? If they will not accept Jesus' words, then much less will they accept the idea of a crucified Messiah. Because remember, the Messiah to them was a political figure, a political leader, someone who was coming from the line of, of David, the Israel's greatest king, that this king would deliver his people. And so the very idea of a royal king being publicly shamed and crucified to a cross was, was inconceivable in their minds. They couldn't fathom that. And so they were offended by Jesus' words. Now, some will even say that when Jesus points them to the cross, he's also asking them to wait. He's pleading them to wait. What if you were just wait? Wait until you see me ascend Uh, be lifted high on the cross, and then crucified, buried, resurrected, and then ascended, then you will know that my words are actually true. Because he's been telling that he's been sent from God, right? that he comes from heaven. And even in John chapter 2, or chapter 3 rather, Jesus says that no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, that is the Son of Man. Right, so the only one who could... uh, Ever ascend into heaven is one who has already descended from heaven. And Jesus has been saying this all along: I am from heaven, I am sent from God. If you will just wait long enough to see the resurrection and me ascended, then you will know that my words are true. But they're still unwilling to listen. They're offended by his words. And the problem with these disciples is not that, it's not that they're failing to understand Jesus' words. They're hearing him. They're knowing what he's saying. They're, they're understanding pretty clearly. In other words, the problem is not with their intellect, but the problem is with the heart. It's the heart that's the problem. They refuse to listen because they have a heart issue. 1 Corinthians 1.18. for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So see, Paul, who wrote these words, recognizes, right, the Jews demand signs. This is what they were asking for. When Jesus tells them that he is from heaven, they ask him to prove it. Even though he had just done a sign of feeding thousands of them using five loaves and two bridges, they're asking for another sign. Prove to us, show us a sign, show us undeniable proof that you are who you say you are. And so the very idea of Jesus Christ being crucified is a stumbling block to them. It's offensive to them. They cannot understand because they have a problem with the heart. In the very beginning, from the very beginning of this conversation, the problem has always been the heart. And even down to this very day, nothing has changed. Right? The reason why essentially people don't believe in the gospel that we preach to them is because they just don't want to believe. No matter how you describe the gospel, no matter how much evidence you put forward to authenticate the gospel message, no matter how much you try to plead with people, if they still refuse to believe in the gospel, the problem is the heart. They don't want to believe. I used to have a 2013 Nissan Altima. And then one day, just out of curiosity, I I drove into a Hyundai dealership, because I just had nothing else to do. I drove into a Hyundai dealership just to see what what I could get. If I could trade up to something, I had, I mean, uh, my car was older, uh, I expected to have, like, mechanical issues at some point soon, because that's what happens when cars get older. So I just went in, and I don't know why I went to a Hyundai dealership, I don't particularly like Hyundais anyway but I went in anyway just to see what I could get, and I talked with a salesman for, like, almost three hours, and he showed me different cars. There was one car that I particularly liked, and we sat down, did the numbers. He looked at my credit, and it was an excellent, I had an excellent credit score, and he gave me a really good deal, and he brought the price down. I mean, it was excellent, but what did I end up doing? I ended up walking away. Now, why would I do that? And Even after I walked away and I went to my car, sat in my car, the salesman came after me, came to me and said, and brought the the price down even lower. And I still refused. I still walked away from that. Why would I do that? I mean, I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting into payments, but the, the payments are something I could afford. It was reasonable, super low. The car was obviously better shape, almost zero miles more economical, wouldn't have to worry about mechanical issues anytime soon, but I still walked away from that deal. Why would I do that? Why did I do that? The reason is because I just didn't want it. I liked my car. That's the reason why I walked away from such a great deal. I just liked my car. Jesus says to his disciples that his words, the very words that they are offended by are spirit and life. The words that Jesus speaks are spirit-inspiring and life-giving. He's offering his disciples something fantastic, something that they're never going to find on this earth. He tells them, if you take this bread that I'm offering you, you're going to be golden. You're never going to find something on this earth. There's nothing to lose here. I mean, except your life, which is no small thing. But in the very end, you're going to have it back, and you're going to have it abundantly, and you're going to have it forever and ever and ever. There's nothing that's going to surpass this. If I could use salesman language, this is the biggest deal of your life. Like, you get this for free, and all you have to do is believe. But in the end, his disciples don't accept it, and the reason is because they just simply don't want to. The problem is the heart, and everyone without exception has this problem. If left to us, no one would turn to Jesus. That is why Jesus says that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. Just think of trying to gain access into this restricted area, right? No matter how much, no matter, you know, you need the right fingerprints or you need to write the right security clearance, but no matter how much you try, you're not permitted because you don't have the right security clearance. But this is a little different when it talks about God giving, uh, granting people access to Jesus Christ because the problem in that little scenario is that when you're trying to insert your card key and you're not and you're denied, right, you keep trying, keep trying, but you're not you're never permitted. But the problem is that we don't even want to get in. That's the part that's the heart issue. That people don't want, don't even want the access anyway. Ephesians chapter two, verse one says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, right, then he he saved us. God must be the one who changes our hearts so that we no longer want to refuse the gospel, but instead want to believe in it. We have to be drawn by God to the Son so that we will then make the choice to believe in Jesus and to follow after Jesus. If my heart was different that day, I would have accepted the deal, right? I would have been in a much better position, but I liked my car too much to give it up. And that's how we think about our sins. We love our sin too much to to give it up to follow Jesus, We love living our lives pretending that there is no God who is watching us, who is watching or hearing every word that we say, knowing every thought that we have, so we refuse to believe in Jesus. And that is why God must be the one to intervene. He has to change our hearts. He has to be the one to draw us to his Son so that we will believe in him. But Jesus' disciples find it hard to accept, not to understand, but hard to accept. And so they refuse to believe so then what happens? It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That is, in my opinion, anyway, one of the most saddening passages in the entire Bible. I mean, just think about, just think about what you're giving up when you're not following Jesus. These disciples, these so-called disciples, they abandon Jesus. They no longer want to walk with him. To abandon Jesus Christ, to abandon the gospel, is to give up eternal life in paradise. To abandon the gospel is to abandon the forgiveness of God and having this peace with God. To refuse the gospel, to walk away from Jesus Christ, is to give up a wealth of brotherhood in the family of God. To abandon the gospel is to give up any hope of eternal life in paradise. It is to give up the Spirit of God abiding with you all the days of your life. It's to abandon this relationship with God where God is always for you. To abandon the gospel is no small thing. It is of eternal significance. It determines a person's eternal destiny. So then it turns out that these so-called disciples were not actual disciples at all how do you distinguish a false disciple from a true disciple? A false disciple stops following Jesus. I mean, just think, these disciples heard Jesus' words. They saw him face to face. Some of them even witnessed Jesus' signs. They received the bread on the mountain when there were only five loaves of bread to feed the crowds. And they still walked away from Jesus. I've heard before, maybe you've heard before, that you know when sharing the gospel with somebody that you know, if Jesus was here, if Jesus was saying these things and teaching these things and doing these things, then I would believe. But that's not, that's not really true. It's no guarantee. Because just here, these so-called disciples had all these things. They witnessed all these things, and they still walked away from Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 6, but it's sprinkled throughout the book of Hebrews, there's always this caution towards believers to make sure that we are examining ourselves so that we are sure that we are walking in the faith. Because this is what happens, right? This, nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to abandon the gospel. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, at five o'clock today, I'm going to walk away from Jesus. That just never happens. Walking away from Jesus happens gradually, over time, little by little. And so, the book of Hebrews and The Bible itself tells us to examine ourselves, to make sure that we are walking in the faith. And how do we go about examining ourselves? I think John the Baptist has a good answer. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, John the Baptist says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He says to the Jews, do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then the best way to examine ourselves is by asking ourselves, am I bearing good fruit? A true examination of our hearts doesn't come from how much we read the Bible or how often we read the Bible. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you that there's no value in reading the Bible. In fact, reading the Scriptures on a regular basis can be instrumental in helping you to discern whether or not... or what fruit you're growing in and which ones are lacking. But what you need to determine is, am I growing in love? Am I growing in in joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness? Am I growing in the fruit of self-control? Am I growing in these areas? We should strive to grow in all these areas, and some will be in greater degrees than others. But don't just focus on the ones that are just, I don't know, easier for you. And this is how we can make sure that we never abandon the gospel. And also, right, as we've been walking through John chapter 6, there's a sense of assurance that we have because it tells us that Jesus never loses any one of those who are His. So even as we continue to grow in the fruits of the Spirit of God, we do so because Jesus has not lost us. And we can rest in that. But it is important that you and I both know what, what fruits are we growing in and which ones are lacking? How do we look in comparison between now and last year? Right now, there isn't a discernible difference. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. It just means that you need to pay careful attention to your life and make sure that you are growing in those fruits of the Spirit and also resolve to do something about it. Well, Jesus, so Jesus is, is having this conversation with his disciples and his words come off cross as offensive to those who ended up walking away but then there were also his 12 disciples and those words Jesus' words were not offensive to them but they were cheerful words so then having all these disciples walk away from him Jesus then t- turns to the 12 and asks do you want to go away as well Simon Peter answered him, answering for all of them, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The response of his disciples who walked away is shocking and it's disheartening. And then Jesus turns his attention to his 12 chosen disciples and asks them if they too want to go away. And their response is also surprising. Because it's, it's natural for us to avoid the feeling of being, of feeling left out. Nobody likes that feeling. And so to avoid that feeling, we'll usually, we'll tend to walk with the crowd, whatever it is they're doing, right? We have a tendency to believe that whatever the crowd is doing must be the right thing. Whatever the direction the crowd is going, that's the direction that everybody has to go. But obviously, we know that that's not necessarily true. That's not always the case. But sometimes we do that to avoid the feeling of being left out. Imagine Jesus having so many followers and a lot of them abandoning Jesus and the rest of the 12 disciples. I mean, how would you respond in that case? How, what, how would you feel? I would feel like I'm being left out. I would probably wonder if I made the right decision here. So Jesus turns to them and asks, do you want to go away as well? Right? It's an important question. And it's a question that confronts us more than we probably realize. I mean, it's just thinking about the culture, right, not following the culture, right, in the direction that the culture is going, which is a dangerous direction, but not following in that same direction makes us outsiders, it makes us outcasts, kind of leaves us out. So the question then becomes, do you want to go away as well? As that same culture continues to put pressure on organizations and institutions, And as those organizations cave in to the pressures of the culture, there's that question again, do you want to go away as well? To follow the culture. When you are ostracized in the workplace because of your Christian beliefs, there's that question again, do you want to go away as well? for The feeling of acceptance. Or how about when Family members distance themselves from you because of your faith. Do you want to go away as well, so you can be included? Or when—and I've been there before—when you've made a decision, when you a, a decision that's been saturated in prayer, you have absolute peace that can only come from the Lord. While everybody else thinks it's a, it's a rational and a totally foolish decision, there's that question again: Do you want to go away as well? Jesus asked that same question to his 12 chosen disciples after so many others abandoned him. Do you want to go away as well? And Peter speaks on behalf of his brethren. He says, to whom shall we go? Commentator Matthew Henry writes, those who leave Christ would do well to consider whom to whom they will go. Where shall we go? Shall we make our court to the world? It will certainly deceive us. Shall we return to sin? It will certainly destroy us. Shall we leave the fountain of living waters for broken cisterns? If ever we find the way to happiness, it must be in following thee. That is Jesus Christ. Where else shall we go? You and you only, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. We can't get that anywhere else. No one else has that. Where else can we go? Why would we turn to anyone or to anything else? So Peter and the other disciples, they resolve to keep following Jesus Christ because only Jesus has the words of eternal life and only Jesus has the power to give eternal life. Jesus and only Jesus. And may we also have a similar resolve all the days of our life. The 12 made the choice to remain with Christ. On the other hand, the reason why they remain is because they are chosen. That's what Jesus says in verse 70. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And here Jesus repeats what he's already said before, that he will not lose a single one of those who belong to him. Out of the many disciples who were following Jesus, only the twelve remain because only those twelve were chosen. Even Judas Iscariot who would soon turn out to be a devil, betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. In His divine sovereignty, the Lord will choose blasphemers and betrayers, and those who will prove to be false disciples for His glorious purpose, and even for the good of His beloved church. Now, those individuals might not be merely known to us, but nothing is hidden from the sight of the Lord, and that is comforting. Well, we may not be in control of such persons and their actions, but God is. I mean, God even used Judas and his betrayal of Jesus that led ultimately to the crucifixion, but it was all according to the plan of God, and Jesus still accomplished our redemption despite his betrayal. The Lord chose us, Jesus secured for us this eternal life that that he gives to us, and he keeps us for that eternal life. And we also receive his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the future grace that awaits us. It's comforting to know that God will even use evil for the purposes of his church, for his glorious purposes, and even in our own personal lives as well. So then, what are we to do with all this? Right, just because you and I have believed in the gospel, just because you and I are here and we have the scriptures, the full revelation of God open to us, does not mean that we find Jesus' words easy to accept. When Jesus is the bread of life. And if anyone digests him, that is, believes in him, then he will have eternal life. But the only way that anyone can digest this bread is if God the Father draws that person to Jesus Christ. And so there is these twin truths of the sovereignty of God and the the will of man to make a decision. Now notice that the scriptures never make this a a point of tension. It never tries to make sense of both, but it just puts them both out there for you. It's not one or the other. It's not it's not that one it takes precedence over the other, but it just puts both there. The sovereignty of God and the will of man. God draws an individual to Jesus, and that person must believe, must make the choice to believe in Jesus. But what makes it difficult about this is when it gets personal. Because what about those that we love? What about those who have heard the gospel even from our own lips and yet still refuse to believe in the gospel of jesus christ so then what is the appropriate response i think it's just i think it's to pray many of us if not all of us have a dear loved one whom we want to believe in the gospel of jesus christ that it seems like no matter how often we preach the gospel to them, no matter how often they even go to church, no matter, no matter what, they still refuse to believe in the gospel, even though we desperately want them to believe in the gospel. And if we could, we would make them believe in the gospel, Well, we know that we can't. And that is why the appropriate response must be to pray. We cannot lose heart in praying for the salvation for our loved ones, those that we continue to share the gospel with. We have to continue to go before the throne of God and beg the Lord, God, save my dad. Lord, save my brother. Lord, save my cousin. Lord, save my mother. Lord, save my spouse. Lord, save my friend. I love him. I love her dearly. And I want them to know Jesus. We can't stop praying for them. I'm reminded of the story of the persistent widow. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. In Luke 18.1, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. It will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That is an important question. Persistence means that we continue to come before the Lord, and we continue to pray that is how faith is displayed. And Jesus asked, will the Son of Man find such faith? A professor of mine in seminary in one of my classes, I don't remember how he got there, but he talked about his, his father-in-law. He had shared the gospel with him over and over again. He's never believed. Until one day, his father-in-law gave his life to following Jesus Christ. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. But it was after praying for him for 30 years, 30 years of praying for his father-in-law to come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and he finally did. And for you, it might take years of persistence. It might take 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of praying for those same individuals. But the point is, is that you do not give up in praying for them. You have you have to be persistent. And I know that it is our tendency to stop praying for things when we don't see any movement from God or when we don't see those answers coming from God. But don't just assume that God's silence is a, is a denial of your request. Persistence means that you continue to pray to the Lord until you have an answer. Because sometimes silence means that you need to continue to pray pray that the lord will change the heart of that individual right the bible says that god must draw an individual to jesus and then that person must make the choice to believe in jesus so by all means continue to preach the gospel but also continue to pray for them pray for their salvation pray that the lord be gracious and merciful enough to change their heart to draw them to jesus that they would make the choice to believe in christ And if you're here this morning, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, we want you to know as a church that we want you to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross for our sins, was buried and then resurrected and ascended to the right hand of God. And the Bible says that he will one day return. And today is the day of salvation. Don't make the decision that these disciples did and walking away from Jesus abandoning the hope of eternal life, the forgiveness of God, the security of God. Instead, make the choice to believe in Jesus Christ. And if you have any questions about that, what that looks like, I would love to talk with you and pray with you. We've heard the statement that goes, that says that you can lead a, a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. These false disciples that we read about in the passage, right, they, they engaged with Jesus. They saw many of His signs and wonders. They heard His teachings, but at the end of the day, they refused to continue to follow Him, right? You couldn't, they could not be made to drink from the water that Jesus offers. You can't force them. You couldn't, can't force anybody to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the one thing that you can do is to continue to pray, We can pray for them persistently. We can pray to the God who not only can look into our hearts, but can also direct and move the hearts wherever He wills. So continue to pray persistently for those that you so badly want to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also remember to continue to examine yourself, to continue to make sure that you're growing in the fruits of the Spirit and also continue to rest in knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ has you and that he will not let you go. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you because you have saved us. You are merciful to us. You are gracious to us. God, and we and we pray, Lord, we pray now for, for our loved ones. We pray for family members. We pray for friends. We pray for workers, Lord, for co-workers. God, would you save them? God, would you be merciful to them? Would you draw him, them to Jesus Christ so that they may be saved? God, and I pray that you would help us to be persistent, Lord, to continue to come before your throne and to plead on behalf of these individuals, Lord, that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let us not give up. Let us not lose heart. But help us to continue to bring them before you so that they may be saved, God, because you have saved us, Lord. There were people who prayed for us, Maybe even perhaps our own parents who pray for us, who pray for our salvation, and you saw fit, you were gracious enough to save us, Lord. And even unto this day you have kept us. And you will continue to keep us because that is what your word tells us. Lord, so let us be encouraged to know that those who are yours, that you will draw to this save to Jesus Christ. And we pray for those that we love, Lord. Save them, God. Draw them to Jesus and keep them in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.